Hello there, listeners. Welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall, and today we're recording an episode. It's the day after Memorial Day here in the United States. And that weekend is typically filled with barbecues. It's the unofficial kickoff of summer. A lot of people, it's a time to relax with their family and friends. But that's not the full spirit of Memorial Day. It's also meant to be a day of remembrance, a day that we take a moment and appreciate those individuals who have given the greatest thing that anyone could give in the service of a belief system, something that they sacrifice their whole selves. And I've wanted to do an episode on service for a while seemed the appropriate time to do it. Now, typically when I have a guest on the show, they are an expert. So that means they've studied, they've done research, they've had certifications on whatever topic it is that they're here to talk about. But how do you find somebody who's an expert in service? Because it's one of those things that I think you become an expert in by the doing of. And I could tell you all of the factoids and the data points about how genuine, authentic service affects your well being and yada, yada. But instead, I thought that I'd bring in a person who I believe really is living an expertise in service. We met together volunteering with the Travis Mannion Foundation. Now, let me take two seconds and just tell you about TMF because if you don't know, I think you should know. They're a nonprofit organization that is in service of veterans and those who have lost a loved one to service in the United States. Now, TMF does what they do in a pretty unique way, which is one of the reasons I love them and give my time and energy to them. They empower those individuals to go back into their own communities and find new missions of service. And through that serving the server, there's a ripple effect but also those veterans, those family members of the fallen, they're empowered with tools that give them a new sense of purpose and meaning and calling through service. So it's being of service, being in service of service. But one thing that I've encountered in, in my life is that so often we talk about service, we talk about it in a deprecating way that you know service workers are working menial jobs because they couldn't do something else or people who choose to serve do so because they don't have other things that they could contribute and i think we're thinking about it just the wrong flipped way it's not how i think of service i know that's not how my guest thinks of service so i am not only honored i'm excited to have my friend Major Kim Rooster Rossiter of the United States Marine Corps, retired, as today's guest on Better Than Fine. Rooster, welcome to BTF. I'm so excited to have you. Uh, overjoyed. Overjoyed. Like, um, we just got to get going. I, I'm feeling all the feelings. Like, let's let's just dance. This is gonna be I feel good. like Thank we you. should warn the audience that you and I are both, like, dialed up to 11 people mm. that once we get going mm. um, in positive psychology, we call it positivity resonance, where mm. you start feeding off of each other. Mm. So everybody turn your volume down a little bit because here we go. Yeah. Um, I introduced you a little differently and normally list off people's credentials, but I feel like the understanding of your call to service comes from hearing your story. Mm. So to start off, can you share with us 
how you got to what you are doing and what you are doing in the world. Let us, let us into you and your world. Yeah. Well, thank you. And to try to do that in a way that is going to provide value to the listener is what I'm going to aim to do. Um, Ainsley was my second born child, which is to say that I have three total children and they range in ages now today from 21 to, to 17, almost 18. And the two that are still with us are Briley and Camden and, and Ainsley unfortunately passed away when she was 12. And in 2016, when she passed away, um, we got a real interesting exposure to the whole process that, that is grieving. And through the, through the grieving process, um, you, you find a lot of things out about yourself and you find a lot of things out about others. But before I get into grief and frankly, how the grieving practice can actually be magical, I would probably need to take us back to tell you how I got to today. So today I'm the president of Ainsley's Legacy, the president of Ainsley's Angels of America. But well before that was a young man born in New Jersey and lived there till I was nine and then found myself into Louisiana for the formative years. So from nine to 18 in Louisiana and finding my way, like all of us when we're young, is what I was you know, doing without even intentionally knowing that you're doing that. And at some point in that nine years of formativeness, I would find that observing what other people were doing for me, meaning how they were showing up in my life, specifically my mom, was something that was so impactful and something I would have never really truly understood for many years to come. But ultimately what that was, was it was like this, this, uh, I don't know, it was love. It was serving mm. others with, with love, right? Mm. Yeah. And, and, that is way back then. And I know your question was, how did you get to where you are today? And I, th <laughs> I think ultimately this, this is what I think. I think that like when we examine how we got to the spot that we are today, it's going to have some elements like circumstance, experience, like observations, mm -hmm. you know, how we felt whenever others showed up in our lives and then how that might have motivated us to want to show up for others. So I, I'm going to pause because I, I, there's so many millions of places that we could go, but let me let you bring me back into, into, well, into you, a thoroughfare. So right, for right now, we're about, you're, you're hitting 19, 18, 19 yeah. at this point in your yeah. journey. And you made a decision that by the numbers, if we just look at the numbers, most people in America do not make the decision that you made, which was you spent the next 20 years of your career in the Marine Corps. Yeah, yeah, exactly. From 1994 to 2018. So almost 25 years um, of active service in the Marine Corps from a young enlisted Marine up to what's called a staff sergeant, which is about halfway up the ladder in the enlisted structure of ranks. And then I was commissioned an officer from lieutenant up to major, which again is about the halfway point of the <laughs> of the ladder in the uh, in the commissioning ranks. And during that time of service, which Here's is that word again. <laughs> what we call it in America, you know, where you're, where you're serving. And, and today, you know, people will say, thank you for your service. And of course my, my response is, you know, that it was my honor. And frankly, it was my privilege to your point that not many Americans actually get to serve. So there's a lot of requirements. I'm not trying to make it sound like it's like getting into Harvard, but in order to serve, you have to be healthy. 
And too often we take our health for granted until we go try to serve. You know how many people I've met who said, man, I, I really wanted to be in the military, but I just didn't qualify medically. Yeah, we've talked. We've talked about people in my life, right, who had lost yeah. their opportunity to serve. Yeah. But there's that word again. And I think had your life taken a slightly different road, you would have kept that trajectory of service. But that's not actually your big core identity now. Like we could talk about that, but there's yeah. something else that happened. Yeah. yeah. So bring us there. Yeah. So this, I mentioned earlier Ainsley. And so she was born in, in 2003 and by 2005, 2006, you know, my wife and I both knew something was just not normal. We followed the mother's instinct that was, she's not progressing as we would have expected or how her older sister did. And that led to a series of tests. And it ultimately came with a diagnosis of infantile neuroaxonal dystrophy. That's a mouthful. Let me just break it down. Mm. She was one of seven people in America, not one in seven, one of seven with this diagnosis in 2007. And that diagnosis essentially breaks your body's ability to function normally. Uh, it breaks it by attacking the nervous system. So toxins build up on the nervous system and take away your function. And so we didn't understand, you know, how and why, and you go through all of the processes that are grieving just with a diagnosis, you grieve a diagnosis. It's a lot. My, my next step in the journey was that we received orders in the Marine Corps from North Carolina to Virginia into a place that was non-deployable, which meant that we could have some con continuity of care for her as we tried to navigate the space and figure out what's going on. And in that move came new occupational therapists and new physical therapists and speech therapists. But it, it wasn't until one of our physical therapy sessions where... The physical therapist named Peggy said, you know, there is this thing. It's new. Team Hoyt, Virginia Beach. You might have heard about it. You know, it's this father and son, Rick and Dick. And at the time of our recording, uh, Rick literally just passed away at the age of 61 days oh, ago. His father a few years about prior. It before. Yeah. 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 So so Dick is the dad and he pushed Rick, his son, at Rick's request and this all started back in the early 70s. And they went on to do 1,100 races to include the Ironman. Yeah, six, <laughs> wow. six times the world. It's wild. The world Ironman in Kona. They tried that six times and accomplished it twice. Really the – anyway, we could do And to spell it out for the listener, we're talking yeah. about you – know, spell out Rick and Dick. So one of them is riding in the chair. The other one is pushing the chair. Mm -hmm. Or if you're yeah. on a triathlon, there's two bodies on the bike. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, inspired by them through Peggy. Yeah. Peggy's like, Hey, this, and this is in our hometown and it's just getting started. And it's the, it's a thing and you should go, you're a Marine, go push your daughter. Like all Marines run, she assumed. Um, <laughs> so I get out there and, and what happened that morning was transformational in every which way, because in the act of the race, I got to see her smile, Ainsley's smile just light up. And you have to remember that prior to this moment, you know, she, she's non mobile, um, very limited in terms of her vocal abilities by this point, um, and was using, you know, some sign languaging, but with really the sensory integration that was the wind in the Virginia beach oceanfront coupled with really just the 
overall exhilaration of, of I think being outside and moving fast and being included in, and frankly running or moving caused this thing to come across her face. It was this thing that was so magical in itself. It was a smile, but it was bigger than a smile. And I knew in that moment that I was going to become a runner for her. I got to, you know, I got to, I have to do that because this is something she enjoys. So that moment is pivotal. It's critical. And it, and it, and it caused a trajectory that took us from that day in September, in August of 2008 to today. And I'll pause for a minute here. Yeah. I, I hear in there, you know, obviously first there's the service of being Marine um, and all of the ways in which you're serving your country, you're serving your platoon, you're serving as a leader. And this moment, right, I hear the self-transcendence in this moment of seeing the circumstance of pushing her, lighting her up. And now it's, I'm going to be a runner in service of her. So you're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Marshall. My guest today is the president and founder of Ainsley's Angels of America, Rooster Rossiter. And we're talking about service, the way that we think about service when we're asked to serve or obligated to serve, and the way that when we find something, a deep spark of service in ourselves, it's completely different than the way that we're taught to think about service. So Rooster, you've got this moment, and I've heard you talk about this moment before, but I got to be honest with you, and I've known you for years, like I was trying not to tear up just hearing you describe the electricity in her, you know, nonverbal, limited, communicative, not able to move on her own, but lit up through this moment of pushing her in a race. How far was the race, if you don't mind me asking? Well, there's a whole story about the race. I mean, it was a 5K race. And, sure. and, and if you have runners that are listening, they're familiar with these things. They're called bibs, runner's bibs. And yeah. you get them when you register. And it's how they identify you on the course. Well, when I got to the race, they already had someone identified that was going to push her because they had a chair and everything. And she got put into this chair and, and she got pushed in this race by someone else. And it's important oh. that I point this out because it, sometimes when people learn that, they're like, wait, what do you mean? You didn't push her in your first race? Well, I didn't because when I showed up, everybody had these numbers. I didn't have a number. I didn't know anything about running. I didn't know you had to register. I didn't know that that was a thing. And so I was I was like, wait, I'm not allowed to do this. I'm not, I'm not part of this. And before you knew it, the race was going and the physical therapist that invited us looked at me and goes, aren't you going to run with your daughter. And I'm like, well, I can't because the guy that's pushing her is flying at, at sub six minute miles down this course. And it's on the Virginia Beach oceanfront. So it goes out to one and a half miles and then it turns around. She goes, well, this is an open, open boardwalk. Just go run. And so I just, oh. I, I take off. And, and now of course it's funny because I'm, I'm in the running industry and that's yeah. not like encouraged at all. You're a bandit, but I, so it's funny because my first <laughs> you ever are race a was bandit, a bandit rooster. <laughs> My first ever race was as a bandit. Anyway, now that we got that, I'm, I'm so grateful though, because of my perspective, they went out one and a half miles. They turned around. They were at the two mile mark. I was just getting there, meaning the one mile mark, if you're doing the math here. But what I saw, I wouldn't have seen if I was behind her. I got to witness this, this exhilarating smile in front of me. I wouldn't have saw it if I was behind her. And then I got alongside them and I'm turning to this guy who's again, he is running. He is moving. <laughs> he and, I, and I am it. 
I'm sprinting next to them and I'm, and he's like, yeah, let's go. This is fun. And I'm trying to keep up as fast as I can. But at one point I was like, I don't want to slow you all down. Ainsley's going to win this 5k race. <laughs> and he's like, okay, man, well, we'll go. We got it. We'll see you at the finish line. And they, they, they won the race. Ainsley's first oh. race ever. She won the race. If I was pushing her, A, she wouldn't have run the race. And most importantly, I think in this moment, I wouldn't have had the perspective, the point of view that I had. Yeah, you wouldn't have seen her. Yeah. Well, in that, I, 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 there's a part of me that wants to go down the deep dive of the nature of being inspired by something and how it's so visceral. But I think there's, there's more nuggets here around service. Seeing that, seeing this child who you know her prognosis and seeing how lit up and activated she got, that changed you. Yeah. Walk yeah. us through that pivot to now this is your mm. calling. This is your yeah. life. I'll do it this way. I was absolutely one of the most passionate people you would have met in 2018 about <laughs> uh, 2008, right? About, about being a Marine. Yeah. Like all in my passion for being a Marine was built upon what I observed, what I felt, the circumstances that I observed, like all in. But when given an opportunity to become a runner for my daughter and being able to see that instant impact of her joy and her happiness of being included and being able to move, that completely changed really this, the feeling you get when you, when you serve. I knew that we were a team together, but I also knew that I was serving her and frankly, she was serving me. She was bringing happiness in a dark, dark, dark place of watching your daughter lose her skills, but she was bringing happiness to me. And I felt like I was giving happiness to her by her reaction. And so the impact of the service became so much more powerful than anything that I had experienced up until that point as an active duty Marine. Granted, I loved being a Marine. I love what it stood for. I love the deployments. I love the chance to go and defend America in foreign lands, the places and the people I got to see. But I started to witness a shift in the, in the thing that made me most happy, in the service of, of how I was dedicating my time, my energy, my, my all. And once you started to see that shift, I became more passionate about being a fan or a one who could set conditions for others to be happy, as opposed to one who was dedicated to the, the war fighting effort of our, of our democracy, both critically important. But the once I recognized the shift, though, and how it made me feel to see others feel a certain way, just wanted to keep doing that and getting more of that. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. Okay. And and I think it illustrates something that I, I think is really important about this conversation. There's lots of, of takeaways I want to make sure we get to. But one of the things that I think is important about your story is you allowed yourself to evolve. And I think depending on who you are and where you're from and, and your relationship to identity, there are people who think, okay, passion and purpose, it's one thing. I have a purpose, right? And I'm going to cling to that instead of 
you had this transformative self-transcendent experience with Ainsley and you let it evolve you and what service has meant in your life. It's still a life of service, but it's a service of a completely different subset of what makes life important. If that made any sense. <laughs> no, it, it, it does make sense because it's so easy sometimes to get fixated on this is the plan. Yeah. And, and to deviate yeah. from the plan. You know, I don't know. We're going to a family vacation that you pick a place, but along the way, we see something that might be intriguing to us, or someone in the car might be like, I'd like to go there. But no, we can't deviate from the plan. You know, mm. I've known too many people that are like, we're not stopping to go to the bathroom until we get to mile 100 at the Loves or the you pick a gas <laughs> station. That, de that, that inability to be flexible can be, I don't know, it can be a bad thing. It makes you rigid. I think it makes you rigid, rigid and, and to the yeah. point of, you know, limited and brittle in a way that's not necessary, if that makes yeah. sense. It, yeah, it does make a lot of sense. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Darlene Marshall. My guest today is also the co-host of the Together We Shall podcast. It's Rooster Rossiter. So, yeah. You go from this place where you realize I got, I'm going to run this girl any chance I get yeah. as long as I get. Mm -hmm. And along the way you found Ainsley, Ain I'm going to always tongue tie it. Ainsley's yeah. angels of America. There we go. I got yeah. it out yeah. along the way you found Ainsley's angels and tell us a bit about mm -hmm. the mission that evolved from that moment. Yeah. So from 2008 until 2011, Ainsley and I were doing races. We did about, I don't know, 30, 30 or so just to guess. But our friends locally, our family, remember, I have an older daughter who's who's a couple years older than Ainsley and a younger son. They're watching this. Our family in Louisiana, they're watching this. They're watching all the fun Ainsley and I are having together. <laughs> and it's it's making them want to be involved in that. And I think there's something there to point out how, how our, our decisions for how we will serve, how every person within has this innate need to serve, but sometimes they can never find how they want to serve. I think that there's something to be said to the circumstances, the observations, like the experiences, the exposure that we as people have can lead to our process and finding our way. And so our friends and our family, and specifically in this case, my sister was down in Louisiana and she's seeing all of this. She's like, I want to get involved. I want to do something. And that's what led to her and I co-founding and establishing Ainsley's Angels of America in 2011, because it became so much more than just what we were doing in Virginia Beach. It was something that we felt needed to be experienced by as many people that wanted to experience it in the, in the world. And, and, and that thing that we're talking about is giving someone an opportunity to do something that's so much bigger than themselves, but it, and, and therefore serving another person. But at the same time, that person who's being served is able to serve the persons serving them by giving them this thing that is so much more than a, than a monetary transaction. Yeah. It's this, it's this energy, you know? Yeah. You can't donate your way into the experience of, of, no. so can you describe for us, you know, the, the hot pink chairs yeah, yeah. and what the Ainsley's footprint is now? 
Yeah, so we're, we're in uh, hundreds of communities across the country. Um, we do use pink running chariots. We've partnered with people who make the chairs, both at the Hoyt Running as well as Adaptive Star. And we are now a primary dis distributor of a lot of these chairs. And that is part of our service and our mission too, because there are hundreds of communities that we're in. Like I said, 35,000 people across the United States that are part of the family. So cool. But there's still places in America and in the globe that don't have access to these resources. And so by making our program one that you don't have to have the program in your community, but rather you can still get the equipment by working with us, that has been fulfilling. In fact, we've granted over 1,400 of these chariots, mm, as we call them, these running I chairs. Yeah. And the countries, I mean, it's mind boggling. Australia. Uh, goodness, two or three chairs to Australia, uh, all over the, all over Europe, um, Israel, um, even had a chair to South Korea, like so many countries that, you, that I would have never thought by seeing the smile on that day on the ocean front, 2018 would have, 2008 would have ever led to this impact yeah. and, 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 and impact at its core is service. And that's, I think sometimes we fail to really look at is the impact, right? I think so often people want to have an impact and then they're out there in search of, I think of impact like a crater, right? They're out there in search of the crater without considering, well, what, what is that feeling? What is that thing that lights me up so much that I have no other choice, right? And, and in the intro, I alluded to this body of research in the nature of volunteerism that when we volunteer because we feel like we should, and it's an obligation instead of when we volunteer because we feel so compelled so much in love with whatever it is that we are called to do that we have no other choice but to do it those people thrive the obligation people actually feel kind of like bored and put upon and so as long as we're out here talking about service like it's something you have to do instead of something you get to do we're going to continue to perpetuate a cycle where people don't feel like they're finding calling and meaning and purpose and creating that impact and legacy that that you're alluding to. You know, hot pink chairs all over the world, chariots, excuse me, hot pink chariots all over the mm. world getting pushed by runners in races and people who would never get to experience that wind in their face and feel that sense of community and transcendence and accomplishment, get that through you and through what Ainsley inspired in you. Yeah. What Ainsley inspired in me. And, and of course it, it's that ripple thing. I mean, we mentioned Dick and Rick Hoyt earlier. I mean, this idea that Rick through his speaking device was able to ask his dad to go push him in a local race, you know, had Rick not done that and had his dad not said yes and done it, then this yeah. idea of duo racing would have never happened. And of course, our growth of Ainsley's Angels was done with the blessing of Dick and Rick Hoyt throughout the whole process. Early on, when we first established our entity, you know, we did it in conversation with him and we worked closely with them in our first four years to make sure that we could kind of learn from all the things that they had done over the previous decades. And to think that, as you mentioned it, you know, this idea of like, you didn't use the word ripple, but this ripple effect that we can all have through our service, not just the service that we're giving of others, but the way that the others receive that and then how they go on and become passionate about what they do. This idea that we find our passions 
and we find our service by how we were served. Mm. And, 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 I, and I'll, I'll pause for a minute to just say that like, had, had Ainsley not been served that day and had I not had the opportunity to witness the impact of the service for her, I wouldn't have felt it the way I felt it. Yep. I hear it. Inside it of every one of us. I'm sorry. I just inside of every one of us is this. You, you said it just a minute ago. You said reframe it from something I have to do. I, I, I would say that like inside every one of us is this need to serve. Unfortunately, not all of us can find our way. I mean, we, we may decide that our service might be done at the local church or at the local food bank, or maybe we're going to volunteer for a thing. But the key is to make that service get to a point where you're passionate about it. And until we're served in a way that can truly impact us, we may not get to see what that passion could be. Does that, is that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's making me think of, there's this, um, concept in, you know, I'm going to talk about positive psychology, Rooster. You know where this goes. Um, it makes me think of this concept in positive psychology. Um, it's Isaac Frilatensky out of the university of Miami has this uh, exchange of meaning and mattering. So it's, I need to know that I matter to other people. Right. And that's makes sense from an evolutionary psychology standpoint, right? Like without my crew, without my team, I'm at threat of survival, right? So I need to know that I matter, but I also need to know that I can contribute to the people that matter to me in meaningful ways. So I need to know I matter, but I have to have a way to meaningfully contribute so that I can build a sense of esteem and value and a wholeness in my conception of myself. But if the way I'm contributing isn't meaningful to me, I mean, how many people out there have jobs that they hate and they feel obligated to do because they got to keep paying the credit card bill. And to me, the volunteering creates an opportunity for service that isn't the obligation of the bills that are coming due, right? You can use your skills and talents for whatever it is that creates meaning in your life. But the other thing that I think is so important about your story specifically is you had this moment um, Maslow called it a peak experience. It's a bell ringer. It's something that's so big in you that you can't ignore it and it changes who you are and then it feeds everything that comes afterward. But in order to do it, you had to take a risk, right? You had to be willing to put her in a chair with a stranger, right? But without that risk, there was nothing else. Without the attempt to find something, there was no spark. And so there's all these elements in your story that I think make it the, the, the valuable example um, that we can all find something in to grow from. We've used a couple of words throughout our conversation and, and they, they kind of define the word service. Like service is growth. Mm. If we think about that, right? If, if you're going to do something that is a service to someone else. And in response to that, you personally grow. Mm -hmm. Service is impact. If you're going to do something for someone and you're going to be able to visually see the impact of your service, might keep you coming back. But the largest piece to the whole thing, in addition to growth, in addition to impact, I think service is 
happiness. Mm. And you may, you may be like, wait, what is this Marine combat guy talking about <laughs> happiness? I love you, Rooster. Until you, until you find happiness, until you feel happiness in, in, a, in a daily, hopefully daily way, like, I don't know that we're fully living yet. Yeah. Like, I, I have a lot of friends, and myself included, who have clinical diagnoses of PTSD. And you can get PTSD in combat. You can get PTSD any day at any time. Something can happen that is so traumatic that either the next day or decades later, it can come back and you can be brought back to that moment and it can cause things. And I'm not a doctor. I just know what I feel like whenever I can't get ahead of myself, yeah. when, my, when my heart's beating in a certain way. And I'm only bringing that up because I think that there's a lot of value in this happiness thing. Because if I can't feel happiness, what am I going to feel? Have we talked about post-traumatic growth, you and I? I realize we're totally going. We're going off the script now. Um, You know, whenever whenever somebody talks about PTSD, I always want to be sure to anchor back to the phenomenon that is post-traumatic growth. Because regardless of clinical diagnosis, I almost called you Roger. That's hilarious. Rooster. Um, I think that you have a story of trauma to growth. And even if you have times that the stress on your nervous system is recurrent, which you and I have talked about, but you also have fostered incredible personal growth that then lends itself toward even more service. And when we remember that that is possible too, right? And, we, I, and I say that not because you don't know it, but I say that because I want to remind the listener and anybody else that they encounter that trauma doesn't one-to-one mean PTSD. Trauma often is the, the catapult to what are you going to do with it once you've got the foundational psychological resources to cope with the stress. Yes, exactly. What are you going to do with it? And and at the same time, like through service, and I guess that's my thesis right now, is that through service, you can get yourself to a place where you can feel fulfilled, where you can feel happy, where you can feel like you matter because you're making an impact. It's like you can, and then you can feel that growth. And just moments ago, I said service is growth, impact, and happiness. By serving, we can get those things into our lives. And frankly, I think they can help us with, on our healing journey. Look, okay. my combat deployments aside, I also have a daughter that died. That is real. And the realness of that is that you have to grieve the diagnosis. You have to grieve everything along the way and eventually grieve the death. And I opened earlier with this idea that through grieving it can be magical it's it's serving that is how you can actively grieve and that's the magic in this yeah so why not just give money not that donations don't matter you run a nonprofit, you know but i know plenty of people when 
asked to serve very recently. So I am on a local board. Our food pantry is struggling with a budget. We, we got a group of people together to grow food for the food pantry in the community garden. And I was just plugging my neighbors, come with us. I want your sweat equity. Come plant with us. Come grow food to feed our community with. And a number of people turned around and gave us great donations, but I didn't want their money. I wanted their sweat. So why is money not enough when we're talking about the impact that service can have in ourselves? I mean, I, I think, and you're a positive psychologist, so you'll appreciate this. And maybe I, maybe I don't know exactly what your title is, but you're a, you're an expert in positive <laughs> psychology. I don't I know if I can call stuff. you a, I don't know if I can call you a positive psychologist. I don't even. I know just help I people know. with stuff, Rooster. All right, cool. But anyway. So I'm going to go to this meaning relationship engagement thing in my answer from Perma V. This money, I don't know that the writing of the check is as fulfilling or as engaging or even allows us with the building of relationships, real human to human relationships. It, I, don't, I, I think it falls short of that. Now, I'm going to answer it with, why don't do both? Why not do both? You know, write the check. <laughs> If you're able, if you're able to write the check, I mean, in a lot of cases, people are not in a position to monetarily be able to give. So a lot of people are especially, well, I don't want to say that. But just a lot of times you can't write the check. Yeah, you don't have it. But if you can write the check, write the check. And if you have the time, it's amazing what can happen through engagement. The engagement mm. can give you those things that service. It can bring happiness. It can have impact. You know, it can create these just special, special opportunities. Well, an incredible community and connection. I, one of the incredible people I've gotten to know through my own opportunity to volunteer is you. Mm. I wouldn't know you if I had not been asked by our mutual friend, Camille, to go and serve in some capacity with TMF. And I, some of the fullest my cup gets in a year is being in that room with all of you. Mm. And that can't happen just from a check. And like you said, not everybody's got the, not everybody's got it, but everybody's got time. Everybody's got sweat equity. Everybody has something that they can care about enough to show up. I believe. Yeah. 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 I mean, if writing the check makes you feel a certain kind of special way that you've made it in life to the point where you can write the check and you're happy to then give the check and present the big check, like all that's great. Rooster will take your check. What Rooster yeah. is saying is Ainsley's Angels will <laughs> gladly take your check. Um, Rooster, how might someone who would like to get involved with Ainsley's Angels find you and your work and, and maybe push a pink chariot? I know it's in my future. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have a website, ainsleysangels.org. We also try to provide value throughout the internet. So even if you just Google Ainsley's Angels, you'll come across all the social media platforms that we're in. But aside from all of that, we really just ask that, we, that, that you become a little more mindful about everyone. Mm -hmm. And 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 try to find moments in your community where you can make things a little bit more accessible or make opportunities and bring value to others that has that sense of belonging and inclusion. So a lot of folks in our world right now that are staying in their homes, they're isolated. 
even their own families have given up on them. There's not much left after that. Purpose is lost. So, yes, join the Ainsley's Angels of America family through our website and donate if you want to. But at the end of the day, just go out and try to find ways to empower others and bring sense of belonging into others' lives. Beautifully said, my friend. Hmm. And I'm going to plug, if you want to hear some ways that some other people have done the mission that Rooster has now let out for you. Um, the Together We Shall podcast with Rooster, which Rooster co-hosts um, has some inspirational stories, but also some very informative stories. Um, and I've been, I've been honored to be a guest on the show and have been a fan of the show and just appreciate the work you're doing there. So president, founder of Ainsley's Angels of America, co-host of the Together We Shall podcast, retired Marine combat veteran, Kim Rooster Rossiter. Thank you for joining me on Better Than Fine. I appreciate you so much. Yeah, no, this, is, uh, this has been fun. I find myself getting emotional as we uh, say goodbye, only because uh, just the opportunity to share some space with you. I uh, sincerely appreciate it every time. So thanks. Thank you, my friend. And to many, many more. So if you, dear listener, are interested in supporting other people make positive changes in their own wellness and well-being, listen up, because I got a little something for you. The National Academy of Sports Medicine, NASM, we are on their podcast network, hint, hint, uh, has a wellness coaching certification that has been built by professionals, experts in sleep, stress, coaching, neuroscience, movement, positive psychology. And I was one of the fortunate subject matter experts to get to contribute. And honestly, of all the certs I got, I think it's my favorite and it might be your favorite too. Well, that certification, I have a discount code for you. $600 off with the code Marshall, C-W-C, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L-C-W-C. So you'd go to nasm.org, click wellness at the top, use the code when you check out, you get 600 off. And of course, we would love to hear any feedback that you have on this show or any show that we do. So if you want to reach out, you can email me. It's info at darlene.coach. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you could find information about this episode and many of our episodes at the Substack. Um, that, that is the more better Substack. It's better than find.substack.com. And of course, I hope you're a fan of the show. Subscribe. Thank you to anyone who writes us a review. And if you do share about the show, go ahead and tag me so that you're out there. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you, Rooster. And be well.